you got a choice in this situation. You know, you actually, mm-hmm. you can leave. And I mean, yes, I get it that like in so many situations, it's really difficult to leave, especially if you have kids or shared finances or nowhere to go. And there are some clients that I work with who just are like, don't even want to hear about that choice. Mm-hmm. They, and they literally are like, no, like, I, no, that's not a choice. That's not a choice. That's not a choice. No, I can't even talk about that. I can't even think about that. If you're happy with the same old ways of dating. If you enjoy sucking at communication. And you have no desire to improve your romantic life, then our podcast might not be for you. But if you want some out-of-the-box ideas to deepen your current relationships, broaden your sexual horizons, develop a better understanding of yourself, or learn more about non-monogamy, then you've come to the right place. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. And this is the Multiamory Podcast. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about drama. <laughs> drama. More specifically, we're looking at one particular model for understanding what causes drama in relationships called the Karpman Drama Triangle. Dun dun. Well, not the Eric Cartman <laughs> drama triangle. That's something Jace. else entirely. <laughs> we'll also <laughs> explore some ideas and frameworks for avoiding the cycle of drama or for getting out of it with grace. Okay, so I just have to ask straight out the gate before we dig into this. What actually is drama? Because I, I feel like I see it all the time, you know, people on their Tinder profiles, they're like, no drama, or, you know, I won't, won't only want a hookup that's drama free, or mm. I'm drama free, or uh, yeah. things like that. And I realize, I, like, I, I guess maybe we have a cultural sense of what drama is, but can we actually put that into words? Blank stares. <laughs> Blank stares from everybody. I feel like we can all probably talk about specific instances of drama, but to say like to classify it in a way to qualify it, I don't know. Okay, well, that's I think, yeah, the qualifiers, it's kind of like picking out what are the pieces that happen in every story like that we've heard that sounds like a bunch of drama. For me, I think of like, I think there's this through line of like a lot of telephone game. Mm. I think seems to happen Mm. in a lot of stories that have a lot of drama. Miscommunication, you mean? Well, miscommunication and a lot of like, well, she told me that he said this, but then when I went and asked him about it, he said, Mm. no, I didn't say that. I actually said this. And then he went and told her that. But then she was like, no, actually, he said that, you know, that I feel like that's... So like the middleman thing. Yeah, there's definitely like a brokering middleman, some kind of situation that tends to come up. Like, what else do you do the two of you see in drama situations? Well, something I was going to bring up is that it tends to, like when people talk about relationship drama, it tends to have this kind of cyclical nature that it's like a a particular conflict or a particular irritation or particular cycle keeps repeating over and over again, Hmm. which I think is Hmm. kind of an important part of it. Because it's generally, it's like you have one fight over something once. People don't usually talk about like, oh, there's so much drama there because it got, it's done. But when it's like, this thing keeps coming up. Back it's like forth. going on and on and on. That's part of, I think, what we define as drama. Okay. Yeah, there's like patterns involved in the conflict of a person's relationship. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, M? And well, and perhaps like a a per, an instigator or like I don't know. Well, that's someone. A, yeah, that's an interesting. Thought. Yeah. 
or that people like take on specific roles mm. in drama and that like you said the middleman might be there so there may be like a white shining horse man <laughs> coming to this is more of a surrealist drama oh, that no. you're describing i love it <laughs> oh okay i know okay like the, the horse a horse is a man and he's shining and he's coming for are you are you trying to describe to like a day. white knight <laughs> kind of situation yes that's what i meant okay. or like a knight in shining but armor he amalgamized into <laughs> a horse <laughs> this weird absurdist play i don't know what's going on in your relationship but... <laughs> yes anyways okay well another thing i want to throw into the conversation is specifically like on on tinder profiles or dating profiles when people mm. are like no drama please i feel like that adds another nuance of we associate drama with a like a quote unquote serious relationship or with emotions. Mm. So kind of the huh, idea okay. of we just you know I'm just looking for our friends with benefits, no strings attached, super easy, fun, fab, breezy, which kind equals of, no drama. Which equals no drama. No but drama. then if you try to escalate it or feelings get involved, then there's going to be drama. I think that's the nuance there. What Interesting. Do you, what do y'all think? I feel like that's a fairly specific use of the term drama mm. in that in that sort of like. Want a casual hookup, no drama. Yeah. I feel like that's... Yeah. Yeah, maybe falls into a slightly different category or definition. Right. Well, it's an interesting idea that, like, with a, a long-term serious relationship comes drama or the potential mm. for drama mm. or someone being like, well, that's going to be a dramatic situation waiting to happen. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think I see all the time particularly when with people who are like unicorn hunting or looking for a third, mm. a lot of requests for like no drama or saying, Oh, we're drama free, which I, in my, what does that in mean? my extremely biased state, I read that as people have tried to call us out on our problematic behavior before. Don't you do that. <laughs> <laughs> don't you get complicated on us. Yeah. Please don't Eek. stand up for any of your own feelings and <laughs> just, just satisfy our desires and let's not worry about you so much. But that, I mean, that's my jaded, cynical self yeah. looking at that. I don't know. Well, uh, what, what I thought Emily was, was going to get at with saying like there kind of needs to be like a perpetrator. I, I was going to say maybe mm -hmm. it's kind of that part of drama, not again, not in these like specific situations of like no drama online, but more when we talk about like, oh, there's a lot of drama in my life right now or like I'm tired of all the drama whatever there tends to be a sort of yeah like a um, victimization yeah like a, a certain a gosh story, all this stuff's right? happening to me a story yeah a story yes. we tell ourselves mm. about kind of what what we're what's being done to us I guess mm. so there's like a, a yeah. good guy and bad guy or a good side mm. and a bad side or stuff like that yeah I guess maybe that's what elevates it into drama because then it's like then it's like a tv show or like I a movie see. You know, where there's this clear fight of good against evil to a certain Ooh, extent. I love that. E and I, I, I would make the argument that's part of a lot of our problems in general in relationships is that movies have told us that good guys and bad yeah. guys are a thing that exists. Mm, interesting. <laughs> and so we try to, you know, we try to adhere to those or try to, to fit those roles into our own stories. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. Well... So well. there's a whole field of people in psychology who've basically dedicated their lives to studying exactly this, that we just spent the past like five minutes kind of debating. What, what is this? How does it work? All of that. And uh, the one that we want to talk about today is something uh, that's called Carp the Karpman 
drama triangle. And when Dedeker first told me about this, I heard the Cartman, like Eric Cartman from South Park, uh, the Cartman drama triangle. So I was disappointed and or relieved to find out <laughs> that it was not that. Um, but anyway, Carpman with a K, if you want to look it up. Um, this is this theory was actually originally published uh, in an article in 1968. Uh, while he, 50 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Good math, Emily. Mm-hmm. Uh, while he, uh, okay. <laughs> thank you. I hadn't even put that together. That's great. Uh, while he was a student um, at uh, Duke University, actually, which is one of the schools my dad went to. Mm-hmm. Fun times. Um, wow. And uh, that since that time, it's been developed out further into a, a more complete framework and a more complete theory. It's also been adapted and modified by other people, which Karpman himself, uh, in some of his writings, like really praises some of those different alternative ways of looking at it and has stayed kind of actively involved in that. Um, something that we, we did want to point out is that it's very important with all of the language we're going to be using in this to realize when we say things like victim or perpetrator or persecutor, things like that, we're actually this particular framework was very intentionally designed not to be about truly like a victim of assault or a persecutor or a perpetrator of a crime, right? Like that's not what this is about. This is about, for the most part, about slightly lower stakes things. And actually the reason why Cartman made the choice to call it the drama triangle rather than the conflict triangle, which it sort of grew out of like conflict theory, um, is that the victim in his model is not intended to represent an actual victim, but rather someone feeling or acting like a victim. Um, mm. And that he, in writing about this and putting it out there, he actually tried to create some notations, like using capital letters instead of lowercase letters to differentiate between kind of the role versus the actual real life thing. Um, but no one actually adhered to those <laughs> notations. And so he himself was like, well, that kind of got lost. But but that distinction is important to make. I just wanted to give that little preface here. So yeah. let's get into so the let's triangle. Get in... <laughs> Sorry, we said the same yeah. thing. No, yeah, I just uh, wanted to point out the first role in the triangle. So one of three. Um, and that is the role of the victim. Um, and again, like Jay said, it's not necessarily like a person being victimized. It's just the role that they are in in that moment in time that they that they perceive themselves being in. And these roles can flip and change throughout the conflict that's arising. So the victim um, feels or acts like they are being victimized. Typically, the person in this role feels powerless. They feel oppressed. And um, sometimes on a really deep level, they feel ashamed. Mm-hmm. And then the next role going one direction around the triangle uh, is the persecutor. So this is the person that the victim feels victimized by, right? So this person is cast as, again, using drama terms here, they're cast as controlling and malicious. People in this role often act angry, defensive, and condescending. Um, this, uh, the persecutor can also be a situation, so this, these mm. all don't have to be people. They're, this can also be a situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I work too hard. I'm at work too much. Uh, they want too much of me. Yeah, absolutely. So so kind of like the, the idea of work or your workplace in general being the persecutor rather than a particular person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And it's kind of like the, again, with the whole good guy, bad guy thing we were talking mm-hmm. about, that this is the bad guy role. Right. Right. 
Yeah. And so then the third role, the third point in the triangle is the role of the rescuer. And the rescuer is usually a third party, you know, outside the victim and the persecutor who feels like they need to get indignant on the victim's behalf. And they work really, really hard to help save the victim from their persecutor. Mm -hmm. And this is the shiny horse, the shiny horse man. Yeah. (laughs) The shiny white horse man. It can look many different ways. I think with the rescuer, it can look like trying to give a ton of advice to the victim all the time of like, you need to do this. You need to do that. Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And like getting really stressed if the victim doesn't Mm -hmm. do any of those things. It can look like trying to intercede on the victim's behalf and like actually get involved in the situation and maybe go try to tell off the persecutor or something like that. Um, Rescuing can look a number of different ways. Well, and like in the example of a situation, it could be if it is job, the rescuer could come along and be like, well, I'm just going to give you money so you don't need to work at that job anymore. Mm. Or I'm going to give you this other job without actually right. maybe addressing. Or I'm going to try to set you up with another job or right. try to forward you a bunch of job listings or sure, yeah. stuff like that. I'm going to get you this connection. That's, yes. Yeah. 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 So it, we want to kind of talk about and go through the roles um, a little bit more in depth and and kind of how one can change their viewpoints or their idea of the role into something else. But um, first, we wanted to say that each person often will have like a most familiar role that they go to, uh, which we found is called their like starting gate position. So that's like their primary role. Um, and it's kind of the place where they generally enter from or they get like hooked into the triangle. And that may be something that just happens through a pattern, like from that pattern, they generally get hooked into the persecutor role or they're generally hooked into the victim role, et cetera, et cetera. Um, You know, people sometimes, I've definitely heard people at work, for example, say like, well, I just like dating unavailable women or I just (laughs) like dating people who need to be saved, for example. Mm -hmm. So they may be like hooked into the role of being the savior or the rescuer. Um, so the, the starting gate position can often happen because of our families, like kind of our origin story. So we may have a role with which we most identify once we're on that triangle, but we probably are going to automatically rotate through all of the positions and go completely around the triangle. Sometimes even in like a matter of minutes or even seconds, many times throughout the day or throughout the conflict. Um, But I think it's important to stress something that we read was that regardless of where we start out on the triangle, all of the roles eventually end up in the role of victim. Mm -hmm. It's kind of inevitable, which I found really interesting. And when you do look at it, often the persecutor will feel victimized as well um, in a conflict situation. Yeah. And I mean, I think the rescuer can end up feeling like a victim as well, because it can end up feeling like I feel like I'm trying to help and nothing's working or like this person's not following my advice or what I'm trying to do is not effective. They don't care about me. Yeah. 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 They're not like thankful enough for what I'm doing for them. Right. Yeah. I've actually, I was reading an interesting thing of one of the things that Cartman wrote, which was about the rescuer coming along and trying to do all this stuff to help. And at some point the victim 
switching to now the rescuer is the persecutor because mm. you're the one telling me what to do or you the one who set me up in this new situation that now that's bad which then yeah. in turn that rescuer who then became the persecutor now feels like the victim because they're being blamed and that's an example of quickly right, cycling right. through all three of the roles so to to yeah. build off of that and kind of give a real world example of maybe how that looks is that maybe you come home you've had a really bad day at work and maybe you hop right away. Again, maybe this is because of your baggage or because of how things were in your family growing up. You hop into the persecutor role by kind of taking it out on your partner at home. Like mm. maybe you've had a bad day, you're in a bad mood and you come home and the first outlet is trying to find a way to hop on something that your partner's done or not done or something like that. Um, and that's maybe kind of hoping that they'll take a little bit of some blame and take some of the weight off of you. Or maybe you could come home and you could hop into the victim role of how hard your day was and how difficult it is mm -hmm. at work in hope of getting them to rescue you. Then maybe your partner gets into the rescuer role, but then because you're not uh, soothed or maybe you're not comforted or you're not uh, accepting any of the advice, then the rescuer turns into persecutor because then it's like, mm -hmm. well, screw you for not taking my advice. Like I'm here <laughs> trying to help you and you won't accept it, you know, and then you become a victim again. And, and like it can all just rotate very, very quickly. Well, and, and another yeah. thing to mention here too that is worth pointing out is that part of the underlying idea behind this is that all of the roles are being done for a selfish motivation that we're not aware mm. of. Mm. And so even the yeah. rescuer who tends to get portrayed as sort of the white knight, the altruistic one, actually is getting a reward for themselves by doing that. And oftentimes what that reward is, is that by focusing on someone else's problem and solving their problem, they get to ignore their own, mm. right? Yeah. They get to ignore their own insecurities or their own things like that. So in that role too, it could be like, I had this really stressful time at work. Now I've come home and I'm going to try to fix all my partner's problems or focus on their problems because then I get to feel mm. good like I'm the successful put together one who's solving their problems, right? So no matter what, all of these roles can grow out of yeah, that. Yeah, and in the same way, the person who's the persecutor, it's not just because they want to be a bad guy or they want to hurt someone, <laughs> right. that often the persecutor can take on that role because they don't want to feel like a victim. Mm -hmm. And part of yeah. them trying to avoid feeling vulnerable or feeling like a victim is to go into that more aggressive mode. Um, yeah, I just yeah. wanted to mention that that in this, it was specifically mentioned that people who are in the persecutor role or that's their sort of um, starting gate role, as Emily was pointing out, they will identify themselves as a victim. So mm -hmm. that's also, again, like this isn't so cut and dry. Like we all know who we are, which again, I think the movies really lead us astray. Yeah. Like the bad guy knows that he's a bad guy most of the time, or at least that's seems true. to, right? That's true. That's true. Um, and so again, we'll give the same disclaimer is that this model can't be applied universally to every case, especially when there's, well, I, I guess the best way to say it, when there's quote unquote an actual victim involved. So as mm -hmm. in, mm. you know, if you've been mugged at gunpoint and you call the cops, like you are the victim in that situation, the cops come in to rescue you and the mugger is kind of the persecutor in that situation. And that's not a dysfunctional drama. That's kind of like these roles played out the way that they were supposed to. Mm -hmm. Um someone who's the victim of abuse, of a physically abusive situation, or any kind of abuse, really, is a legitimate victim. Um, and so it's not that, like, because you're a victim of abuse means that, like, you're trapped in this drama triangle. Um, right, it's not like it's your own fault. Yes. However, you can bear in mind that abusers themselves are often very good at playing all three roles, 
in this triangle mm-hmm. and keeping this cycle moving very quickly so that the victim never stays in the victim role for very long. You know, the actual victim can end up feeling like part of this is my fault or feeling like I need to save this person because I'm the only person who loves them and accepts them when they're yeah. angry or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, just bear that in mind. Um, this specifically Cartman's drama triangle, it's most useful when looking at conflicts that are a little bit lower stakes, mm-hmm. even if they feel higher stakes, usually when you're in the middle <laughs> of them, or situations that feel more murky and fuzzy. Like I think that's a part of drama too, is there's a lot of ambiguity going on um, that tends to get amplified by a lack of communication or again, more of that telephone communication and that triangulation communication. Um, so these are mm-hmm. the kind of situations that we want to apply this framework to. Yeah. Uh, so before we get into some of these tools about this, we wanted to talk about um, a, a few more like personal experiences of how this sort of thing shows up either in our own lives or people's lives that we know. And uh, one way, like Emily was mentioning too, that we'll often learn kind of our go-to role in childhood based on our family and how we grew up. Mm. And this can be just a relationship with our parents, um, or if we have siblings, we can absolutely get into these sorts of roles of, um, like, often, like, for example, with myself and my brother, something would happen where one of us obviously would, would feel like the victim and be like, oh, he did whatever to me, whether it's, you know the whole like not touching me in the car game, right? Like he's not touching me. Well, wait, what? Mm-hmm. You know, like that whole thing. Or, um, you know, he hit me or whatever it is. And then you're going to the parents to be the rescuer, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. you're trying to like seek out this intermediary to solve this problem for you, right? Mm-hmm. And depending on if you were the younger or the older brother, you might tend to have a role that you go to more often. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a good example too of how that can flip you can flip through all those roles. So my sister and I, like, so my sister and I would start out fighting with each other about something, you Mm -hmm. know, it would come running to mom and then mom's solution would be to like send both of us to our rooms. Cause usually it was, it was for fighting. It was for be like being brats to each other, you know? So she would send both of us to our rooms and then suddenly, then we'd both be on the same team again, you know, <laughs> right. where like my sister would be trying to rescue me because I'd be more upset, you know, and I'd feel like more of a victim. And then suddenly mom's the persecutor, even though it started out with me and my sister mm. being at each other's throats, um, you know. So, so yeah, I think with siblings and parents, like it's really easy to see that cycle pop up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also like a child and two parents could be pitted against one another as well, like a mom or a dad going uh, to become the child's rescuer, like, mm-hmm. you know, well, you said no video games until your homework was done. Well, you're being too hard on Jimmy. Why don't you <laughs> let him play those video games? Don't worry about it. And then, you know, the two parents are pitted against mm-hmm. one another. Um, it's stuff like that, as opposed to people kind of working together to, like, seek a, a good compromised outcome Mm -hmm. Uh, i think also parents even just a single parent this can happen as well both in kind of more normal benign ways and also more um you know sort of troubling ways Mm. the kind of more benign way might be one of the examples we gave about like the situation like maybe your kid is getting picked on at school or they're struggling in school or something it's like, well, I'm going to go yell at the teacher about mm. them, like not teaching my kid well enough or, you know, something like that can have varying levels of 
fairly benign to problematic or something sure. where the parent is filling both the rescuer and the persecutor roles, mm. where the parent's the one being like, you're not good enough, but also you'll never get anywhere without me. And kind of locking the child mm. in that victim role mm. is a way where someone can end up kind of stuck in that situation. Yeah, yeah, totally. We can also see this come up uh, between yourself, a romantic partner, and a friend or a family member. I think I see this all the mm. time. Um, When I was really young, my mom and my boyfriend had a falling out. And when I look back on that now, I see, oh my goodness, how much I hopped between those. We all hopped Uh. between those three roles because it started out being like, uh, well, you know, my boyfriend said something snappy or nasty to my mom and my, I see my mom as the victim here and I want to help. Um, you know, I feel caught in the middle kind of trying to rescue them both as it mm-hmm. is from each other. Right. But then the conflict goes on long enough that then I feel like a victim because now I'm like, oh, I just want to like smash both their heads together and tell them <laughs> to like wake up and, and like, and poor me that I'm caught in the middle of this, mm. you know, mm. and then, you know, my boyfriend turned to the rescuer of trying to comfort me, you know, and then mom seems like the persecutor. And I think this is a relatively common situation that people can get into, not just with, you know, it could be something like that, like a parent who doesn't get along with a romantic partner or doesn't approve of a romantic partner or a friend as well. Same Mm -hmm. thing, you know, that doesn't get along with a romantic partner or doesn't approve them or vice versa. That I think that's a situation that's ripe for this drama triangle action. Mm -hmm. Or metamors. Yikes. Like we've definitely experienced this and seen this. And um, I think it can happen even in like triad situations or any configuration but we've definitely seen it a bunch in V situations with metamors where, you know, two people may be having a challenging time and then a metamor gets pitted against another person um, or any configuration of that. And it comes from a very noble place mm. of like, sure. I want to protect my partner, but it ends up in this drama triangle thing right. of like, well, mm-hmm. now I'm trying to make a bad guy out of someone else or tell you what to mm-hmm. do. And then I can become the persecutor and mm-hmm. then become the victim. Yeah. And again, everyone can rotate through these, yeah. these yeah. things again. Definitely. I also wanted to give a quick example. Um, actually, that's one that... Um, is pointed out in one of the PDFs available on mm-hmm. Dr. Cartman's site where it's a, an actual, like a one person triangle. Huh, um, and this is about substance abuse. And mm-hmm. I'm going to take a more benign version here and just say drinking. I'm not even going to go with like full on narcotic mm-hmm. addiction, but imagine drinking here, right? So you're in the victim state because you're feeling sad or you're feeling lonely or you're feeling stressed out or whatever it is. And so you rescue yourself through the use of substances, so drinking. Mm, You drink a lot, the next day you have a hangover and you feel even worse. So that's like the persecutor is Mm. the situation of having a hangover and of feeling bad, which then leads you back into feeling bad. You're the victim again, and then you go back around that cycle Mm. over and over again. Interesting. Just to kind of point out how more examples of how a situation can also be part of this, Mm. or yourself, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just the last thing to bear in mind in thinking about the drama triangle is one thing we love to do on this show is look at pop psychology stuff and, (laughs) and try to examine Uh it because, because any psychological concept that becomes pop psychology, that becomes a buzzword or becomes, you know, a household word, like, you know, like our episode on narcissism or, Mm. 
or codependency or things like that, that it's very easy for the message behind it to get a little bit twisted unintentionally and get interpreted interpreted weird. And so when we were doing some research for this episode, I found a number of resources that talked about the Cartman drama triangle and talked about each of the roles as though they were like different personality types. As mm-hmm. though and as though almost kind of like like attaching value judgments to each person's personality type. And so Are you a persecutor? Yes, exactly. Like are you always trying to rescue people or do you constantly pick yeah. at people's faults and persecute them? You gotta mm-hmm. stop that. Um and it kind of really misses the point that it's not necessarily like there's certain types of people who are always the victim, always the persecutor, always the rescuer. But that this is a dynamic. And again, like Emily said at the beginning, that you may have an entry point that is the easiest entry point for you to to go to, but it's unlikely that you're going to stay there for very long because Mm -hmm. it's probably going to keep rotating. So just to bear that in mind, we don't want any of our listeners to come away from this episode thinking that they've got to figure out what their drama personality type is. um, (laughs) Right. That's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. For a long time now, we've been fans of adamandeve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection and now not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on adammail.com and evestoys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's multi, M-U-L-T-I, at adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast, and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping. Code M-U-L-T-I. So we wanted to get into the actionable takeaways for making uh, the shift outside of this, this cycle, this, you know triangle of doom that we've got going on <laughs> triangle here. of horsemen and victims and exactly. other fantasy creatures yeah i know i'm like what like like a griffin or like a slytherin or something oh gosh okay okay hang on. it's not a creature okay hang on so if the rescuer is like a white shining horseman and then the victim is i'm thinking like weird amalgamations of fantasy tropes so it's like the oh, victim is like 
a princess in a tower with like long hair, but also a mermaid's Peachy. tail. I was thinking. And, I was thinking of a mouse for some reason, and a ma- and she's a mouse also. Oh, okay, got okay. it. Okay, not that I wanted. Okay, throw gender roles. Yeah, onto let's this. not throw gender into C- okay, it. Okay, a prince with very very long hair. So it's a, a shiny white horse person. Yes. is the rescuer. Okay, yes, and then a yeah, long haired, very gender neutral. Yeah. a long haired, pr- a long haired mouse prince, royal mouse person. Yes, gender mouse, neutral. Okay, <laughs> mouse royal person. Yes. Okay, and then the persecutor is. It's yeah. usually like, like an angel from the Bible. Jeez. Wow. So like kind of terrifying. No, I, just, I said that because yeah, from in drunk Bible study, you all have been talking about how weird the angels look in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's like an angel, but also a witch, but also mm-hmm. a wolf. Uh, yeah, I was going to say wolf. Yeah. Like a wolf witch angel. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Love it. Okay. <laughs> now that, not that's going to be so much simpler to I talk know. about. I know. Yeah. Now that we've settled that. <laughs> yeah. So, Okay. Um, one of the things that you can do to kind of take yourself out of this cycle, and we talk about it a lot on this show, is to set boundaries. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, this can kind of change your perspective about what exactly the role that you're taking. And if you are constantly finding yourself, for example, in the victim role, maybe you can be like, well, I'm going to set some boundaries. If you're like, work is really tough been there done that (laughs) i took three jobs three serving jobs at once and then i was like oh my god my life is so hard and i was like well i'm not setting any boundaries for myself Mm. and maybe i should cut out some of those jobs so i did that and then i stopped being a victim and it was nice Hmm. Um, you're no longer a mouse a mouse a long-haired mouse prince i mean princess prince no i am no longer the long-haired mouse prince person (laughs) so yeah it just it can kind of Yes. I was going to say, can we say prinks as a gender neutral? Oh, a prinks? prinks. Oh, I like that. That's, all right. I prinks, love it. Like yeah. P-R-I-N-X, X, a prinks. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Great. Yeah. 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 So anyways, that just <laughs> kind of changed my perspective of feeling victimized. And it also changed uh, that that kind of idea that I had to like sit there and be rescued by someone like... That I would, you know, be able to bitch to you guys about it, or, <laughs> or to you, my nesting partner, or whatever, and just talk about how like victimized I was by the situation. Instead, I was able to get myself out of that situation by changing my perspective mm. and realizing I needed to figure some shit out. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really good example. I'd love to come back to a little bit later in this episode um, when we talk about mm. actually, you know, kind of evolving those roles specifically. Um, but another thing that's really useful for being able to break out of this cycle is just being able to recognize the pattern at all as mm. being able to see. Yeah. And some people who are listening to this, you'll think of drama situations in your life and it'll be like instantly obvious, like, oh my God, I can see it so clearly. Um, other people, it may not be obvious because maybe it might be, it may have switched so many times that you don't know. It may be in the midst of transition. But that I think that's the first thing is just being able to recognize the pattern and then also being able to recognize patterns within yourself. Um, you know, asking mm-hmm. her the question of like, okay, I think I'm in this role why do I think I'm in this role? Have I been in this role many times before? Does this role feel familiar to me? Does this feel like a role I took on a lot in my childhood? Um, You know, I think even just kind of assessing yourself and also maybe even assessing people in the situation with you, if they're people that you know very well, you know, like a loved one or a romantic partner or a family member or something like that, you can kind of apply what you know of them as well to see like, oh, it makes sense. You know, like my sister always played this role growing up. It makes sense (laughs) why it's coming up again now and why I'm now playing this role. So again, just shining that light of self-awareness on it can really help to 
really be a really important first step in getting out of the cycle. I was just going to give a, a real life example. For example, I have a really hard time saying no. And I think it's because of my need to be liked by people. So I feel if I say yes all the time, then people will like me more. But then that puts me in a victim situation inevitably. Mm. Yeah. yeah, gosh. And therefore I take a million jobs at once <laughs> and I can't handle all of them. Uh-huh. And then we, like I know both me and Jace have switched off sometimes as the rescuer trying to be like, Emily needs to learn how to say no, or we need to, I need to talk to her about how she's overworking herself, you know, um, yeah. like I need to save Emily from her three jobs somehow. Right. And I think that the beautiful irony of trying to teach someone to say no or not to let other people tell them what to do is you want to be like, do what I'm telling you and say it's no more exactly. often. And you're just like, <laughs> right. you're the... just, yeah, you're just kind of <laughs> adding fuel to the fire as yeah. it were. Totally. Yeah. Which is a good example of that rescuer role, not actually doing mm -hmm. a lot of rescuing, mm -hmm. right? It's more the appearance of it. Um, so another thing to note here is that if you have recognized this, you've identified it, you can see that you're inside the triangle, that you're going through this and that you're aware of the roles and the switches and the consequences of this, it's important to realize that escape is available from any of the corners of the triangle. It's not like only one of those three branches can stop this. Um, and this actually comes from Dr. Cartman himself. He has little kind of uh, sayings for each of them. Uh, no, the funny thing I really is that... I thought you said Cartman there, and I was like, what? Well, the funny thing I was going to point out with these little sayings that Dr. Cartman himself came up with, that when they were written in the document... Like both Em and I thought for sure that Jace wrote these because they sound oh, for sure. like a silly little <laughs> idiom that Jace would make up. So I assume oh, you love boy. all of these, right? I, I, I do. I would love them more if they were my own, I think. <laughs> but uh, they are pretty fun. So <clears throat> so uh, Emily kind of talked about the the victim one, actually, of, you know, that her realizing her escape from it was kind of setting up boundaries, learning to say no, learning to change her situation into one that she wants instead of stressing about how it's one she doesn't. So the victim, the saying that he came up with is, I'd rather be getting than fretting. <laughs> that doesn't quite, it doesn't quite rhyme, rhyme yeah. but okay. Yeah, it's true. It makes it, sense, Maybe though. if you said getting than fretting. Ooh, getting that's than good. I'd rather be getting than fretting. I like it. Yeah, okay, perfect. so the idea is I'd rather be like, pursuing something than just sitting here wringing my hands stressed about the situation yeah like changing the focus to what you do want rather than everything that's happening to you that you don't want mm -hmm. right that's kind of yeah. i'd rather be getting than fretting okay uh work smarter not harder yeah, yeah exactly yeah um speaking of smarter so the rescuer mm. role their little saying is i'd rather be smarter than martyr <laughs> Again, a little weird. I think I would have come up with better ones given the time. But uh, <laughs> so I'd rather be smarter than martyr. Um, so that's their, that's supposed to be their escape. That's is, their okay. escape is to remind themselves mm. of that. And essentially that means to not fall into that thing of like, I'm going to sacrifice myself to try to solve this person's problem, put myself in the middle of someone else's fight, maybe expend my money and resources and energy on trying to fix something. And instead I'm going to be smarter than that, meaning finding a different way to, to help with that situation mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. not martyring myself. Right. Uh, yeah. And then for the persecutor, it's, I'd rather be mad than sad. And this one, there was, I'd rather do there was I, no explanation. I don't, yeah, I don't understand it. it. But here's, here's my interpretation. 
So it's, it's sort of like when you read the Bible and you have like a tiny little verse and you can spend like an hour Trying postulating it what it might mean and the significance. Yeah. So, so I'd rather be mad than sad. Uh, I think the, the way I interpret this is it's that often the persecutor does their persecuting because they're upset about something, right? Either someone is doing something that they don't like, and so they're going to try to control that person to get them to do the thing that they do want. Um, it could be acting out in you know violence or frustration because they're frustrated about other things. Remember, again, the persecutor generally thinks of themselves as a victim. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd rather be mad than sad. It's like I would rather just embrace the fact that I'm upset about this rather than doing something that I'm going to regret, which is then going to make me sad and end up in okay. continuing the cycle. Okay. Maybe the weakest of the three. Okay. But, yeah. but yeah. actually, tried. Though, in, <laughs> yeah. in a different example, actually talking about um, things like the cycle of violence, for example, that that's another one where a person goes around where they're, maybe they were, you know, um, in a violent situation and they're the victim of that. And then to rescue themselves is sort of through this like pent up aggression and like frustration with the situation and like getting stronger, becoming more powerful or putting yourself around people weaker than you. And then you become a persecutor acting out in violence against those people to assert your position, which you then feel bad about. And then you end up back in this victim role or maybe other people seek retribution, right? You can end up in this cycle that in that Mm -hmm. example, he talks about when you're at that persecutor point that's your time to escape. It's like, that's when you kind of are in the the power position to just walk away. Hmm. In a way that the other two kind of have to find a way to work and put up boundaries or something. But from that persecutor section, that's kind of your opportunity to walk away. Interesting. Uh, which wow. I think I'd like to explore this more at some point, probably not in this episode, but I think that in... Again, not talking about like for real abusive situations, but in relationships that have a lot of drama and just are not a very healthy relationship, that kind of when you get to that point where you could be the one who's going to go into the, I'm telling you about all the things you're doing wrong and all the ways that you're hurting me or hurting our relationship, that instead that might be your chance to go, I'm in this position and instead of doing that, I'm going to put up my boundaries and I'm going to leave this relationship. Anyway, Hmm. something to maybe theorize about later yeah yeah so there's apparently like other therapeutic models of the triangle um and those have been developed over the years for example there's something called the winner's triangle (laughs) Um, way better than the drama triangle Mm -hmm. i know the winner triangle and the drama triangle um so the winner's triangle was published by ac choi in 1990 And it works to show how someone can change their behavior from any point in the triangle to avoid creating drama and continuing the cycle. I don't exactly know how. We didn't elaborate on that. Well, it's very similar to the next thing we're going to talk about. I just wanted to acknowledge that like, there have been several of these made over time, kind of like I mentioned at the beginning. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, because as we said, this is 50 years old. And so there's been a lot of time for other people to kind of pick it up and run with it and develop their own theories about it. But the one that we're going to talk about um, that I think is kind of getting the most play and is the most well-known is this modified drama triangle called the empowerment dynamic sometimes referred to as ted um but that just not to be confused with yeah ted it just talks. makes me think yeah, of ted talk so yeah. I pref- yeah i prefer to just call it yeah. the empowerment dynamic um <laughs> so this was a modified version of the cartman drama triangle that was created by david emerald 
And basically what it does is it takes every role and just kind of makes what I think is a relatively simple psychological shift to change the way those roles function in order for it to be less dysfunctional as a cycle. So for instance, the victim, rather than continuing to become the victim, they then become the creator. And the creator is someone who works proactively to create a positive or at least a tolerable outcome to a conflict or to whatever's causing the drama. And the creator, you know, rather than feeling helpless, rather than feeling victimized in the situation, they're able to take ownership of their power and their ability to to make a choice and also to respond as well. So I think, Emily, your example is a great example of that, of like at first going along, going along, feeling like, oh my God, my life is so hard. I'm so tired. I'm so overworked. I can't deal with this, you know, and then being like, oh, actually I need to step up here. And Mm -hmm. literally you became more of the creator of your situation of like, I can make choices and I can move things around so that I don't feel this way. You almost could say they're more, they're more focused on getting instead of fretting, you know? Yes, you you could say that. (laughs) I suppose one could. Yes. Yes. Can you tell us about the other one? The next role? So, so the next one is the persecutor role. So the persecutor becomes the challenger and Essentially, the challenger is about being honest, even when it's difficult, and specifically giving directions and telling others what we want, rather than blaming them for doing things wrong or invalidating them. Mm-hmm. And it shows, it, it, like, it helps them to be successful and to give you what you want. It actually enables them to do that. Uh, and it feels a lot better to do. So this is something mm-hmm. that we also talk about a lot on this show, is the idea of rather than being upset that no one is treating you the way that you want to or giving you the support that you want or or caring for you in a certain way instead doing this thing that seems so terrifying to do sometimes which is just to say hey this is what i would like mm. this is what i want yeah. in a proactive way mm-hmm. right of helping them to do those things as opposed to waiting for them to fail you and then getting angry at them mm. um and that that actually helps to build up rather than put others down mm-hmm. But I think the important part of that is that the challenger is totally honest. Mm-hmm. And as we all mm-hmm. know, you know, honesty can be uncomfortable to hear. Honesty can create conflict. Honesty can create uncomfortable feelings. But if there's honesty involved, that means that the creator who was a victim, the creator is actually able to like make informed decisions. I think that's an yeah. important part of, of eliminating drama to a certain extent. And also to go back to the idea that conflict is not inherently bad, just this drama, like getting caught in the cycle, is the thing that we want to avoid here. So like Dedeker was saying, that can be challenging to hear. But also, again, this gives everyone a choice. And this is something that they don't talk about in the empowerment dynamic, but I think is very valuable, is again with the idea of boundaries, that this is the challenger's opportunity to say, this is the way I would like things to be, this is how I would like to be treated, or what I would like you to do. And then the victim, who's now the creator, getting to say, well, this is what I want to create, I have a choice in how I respond, and that choice for Mm. both of those people might be, well, this isn't going to work out then. That was uh those those deep. Thanks. Truly, I liked I liked all of that. That really makes you be like, oh man, you do have a say in all of this. <laughs> mm. Nobody is the bad guy. Yeah. It's just two people deciding what they want right. and addressing it. Well, there's and yeah, 
there, maybe yeah. it's not going to work out if if you are honest about your feelings. It's true, though. I, I, I don't know. I feel like we come keep coming back to that on this show that there's so many people who are in situations of feeling like I feel so helpless. I can't get my partner to do this or to do that or my partner won't do this or won't do that for me. And not realizing like you got a choice in this situation you know you actually you mm-hmm. can leave and i mean yes i get it that like in so many situations it's really difficult to leave especially if you have kids or shared finances or nowhere to go and you know yes those are shitty situations but I, but again if we're looking again at the more low stakes conflict mm-hmm. it is kind of yeah. our low stakes drama um relatively speaking that that is always a choice and there are some clients that I work with who just are like, don't even want to hear about that choice mm-hmm. there. They, and they literally are like, no, like I no, that's not a choice. That's not a choice. That's not a choice. No, I can't even talk about that. I can't even think about that. Well, I think also like Emily was pointing out earlier that we learn these roles in childhood. And at mm-hmm. that point you don't have that choice. That's true. Right. You can't leave as a kid. Right. Not mm-hmm. until maybe you're a little bit older. And then even then, like that's, a, you can emancipate yourself. That's a <laughs> but very, yeah, that, that's a big, yeah. a big deal. Yeah. Right. That's a very difficult situation and is the reason why we're doing our, our um, fundraising thing right now for the Ali Fournay Center mm-hmm. is right. that those are examples mm-hmm. of where the situation was so bad that these LGBTQ youths have had to leave their families, but they're getting killed or mm-hmm. they're getting, you know, um, abused or attacked on the streets and so there needs to be resources for that so again it's very different in your relationship now you might think it's very hard to think about ending this relationship but relatively speaking it's not so much but we kind of learned that idea of being trapped when we were kids Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so okay we're gonna talk about the last role um and that's where the rescuer actually becomes the coach so they'll ask the creator now, the, the former victim, but now the creator, uh, they'll ask them questions to help them discover and achieve what they want. So they'll, they're going to be more like maybe a Triforce 2 <laughs> instead of a Triforce 3 instead of just being like, I'm going to give you all this advice. They ask questions like, how, how do you think you're going to do this? How will you do it? So they're supporting, they're assisting. Um, yeah, they're kind of like in acting I just thought of it in acting like when you have those directors who give you a line reading Mm. like to me that's more that's more being being uh, the rescuer as opposed to the coach who who says you know okay let's let's ask some questions to kind of formulate what I want you to get at but you come to that yourself I'm not spoon feeding it to you yeah that's great I love that analogy yeah that analogy is good and Thank you. (laughs) Well, if we'll keep riding the wave of that analogy, if a director is working overtime to give all of their actors line readings, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. that's extra stress for the director, too. That's the director doing more than what the director's job should be. And that director is probably, uh, again, just feeling victimized. Yes. Well, maybe feeling victimized, but also feeling like I really have to stress to pull this together and tell mm. everyone how they need to be acting. And I think that mm. same thing can happen with people in the rescuer role is they can feel like I'm so exhausted and this isn't even technically my conflict. Like I'm not even the one yeah. who's in conflict here. Um, but I feel really stressed and exhausted and burnt out by dealing with a situation. And so that's why I think the shift into the coach role is so important because it does require trusting that like, they're going to work it out. I can be here to support. I can be here to help these people figure out what it is that they actually want. 
but I don't have to be in the middle of it actually solving everything. Yeah, I, totally. It's almost like a humility to it of acknowledging mm. that I might not know the best solution to your problem. Hmm, that's huge. That's not something that I they mean, mentioned duh. in this, but that just occurred to me. Yeah, 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 that's huge. Yeah. So I think the main the main takeaway here with all of these three like changes in in a reference point of what these things look like is that the whole thing is kind of reframed so that there's no villain in this situation and that everyone has agency mm. as opposed to like, well, there's a persecutor, there's someone who's going to come save me and I'm the victim or however mm-hmm. it is configured. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, well, for those of you listening, I hope that this has been really illuminating for you. I know for me that when I learned about it, it just blew my mind because for me, it was really that waking up moment of like, oh my goodness, I can see so many situations in my life in the past going all the way back to childhood mm. where it suddenly makes sense, uh, all the different roles that were at play and the cycle. And it's really helped me in my coaching practice as well to be able to not mm. only see what's going on in my clients' lives and how the cycle is perpetuating, but even how I react as a coach, that if I'm getting too much into rescuer mode, mm. I know, like, like I get really, really stressed. And so also knowing that if I'm really stressed about a particular client, that's my key where I'm like, oh, I think I'm trying too much to be a rescuer. I need to be an actual freaking coach, like the empowerment dynamic says. Um, mm. So again... Be a good director, not a bad Exactly, director. be a good director yeah. and not a bad director. So again, we definitely love to hear from all of you. Have you noticed this in your lives? Have you noticed a particular role that you end up playing? Was there anything particularly useful for you in breaking out of this cycle? Definitely let us know. So if you want to get in touch with us, send an email to info at multiamory.com or send us a message on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. You can also leave us a voicemail at 678-M-U-L-T-I-0-5 or you can leave us a voice message on Facebook. To support our show and join our private Facebook community and discourse forum, go to patreon.com slash multiamory. Multiamory is created and produced by Dedeker Winston, Jace Lindgren, and me, Emily Matlack. Our episodes are edited by Mauricio. Our social media wizard is Will McMillan. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.